Lee Rood, I am delighted to have you on our Monday Zoom lunch guest. I guess we're competing with you being on River to River right now as we speak because <laughs> the recorded interview is airing now. But that's kind of nice that you're getting all this attention. We'll uh, talk about why that is. But there's so much to your career we want to talk about today, including the Blockbuster series that you recently published about Boys Town. And as you know, we have a lot of uh, people on the call who will probably have a question or two or a comment, and uh, we'll get into that after after we chat for a little bit. But welcome to the Monday Zoom. Thank you, Julie, and thanks everybody who, you know, everyone who is listening and watching. I recognize a couple names out there, so thank you. Well, first of all, tell us, let's just jump right into this Boys Town uh story and how it came about and how long did it take you etc cetera, etc cetera. and what 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 what's been the feedback the feedback has been really wonderful um for those who are you know they were really long stories <laughs> probably longer stories than I've done in a long time but um it's been it's been great i thought that there would be kind of a backlash associated with them and i was kind of prepared for that um because boys town is so beloved in Nebraska and so closely affiliated with the Catholic church there in Omaha, but really it's been, it's been all positive. Um, this all started like a really long time ago. Um, many months ago when I was actually contemplating, um, writing something about, um, the drastic reduction of local investigative reporters. And it had occurred to me, um, early this year that, it was the 50th anniversary since my own father won a Pulitzer for an expose on Boys Town, um, same year as Watergate. Um, and he and a couple other reporters at the Sun newspapers in Omaha won for um, in a category called local investigative reporting, which doesn't even exist anymore because there are so few investigative reporters on the local level. Oh, So I was... Um, kind of hashing around, you know, what I wanted to write and looking at statistics nationally and all this stuff. And I and I thought, well, you know, I need to take a look at Boys Town and see what's happened. Um, I read up on it. I'm from Omaha, um, from a, a, you know, predominantly Catholic neighborhood where lots of people love Boys Town, worked at Boys Town. And I kind of wanted to see how things were going there. And as it happened, just in my own career, I have covered child welfare a ton and also nonprofits a ton. So I'm very familiar um, um, with both of those worlds. And I just started looking at their um, um, 990s um, and was really shocked and amazed to find out not only do they um, have $1.8 billion now from fundraising um, but that they spent an extraordinary sum on that fundraising, uh, $63 million when, you know, they only spend $67 million on their programs in, in Nebraska and Iowa, which was just kind of stunning to me. So that caught my eye. And then also I had been reading um, a little bit. Um, um, there were uh, cases of sexual abuse that have been re reported recently there. Um, and I also was aware of this um Nebraska Attorney General's report on clergy abuse at Boys Town and just reading a ton of clips um, and sexual abuse um, at residential homes for youth has been an issue 
nationally across the country. It's it's huge right now. It's very timely. There's a there's a bill in Congress um, called the Stop Institutional Abuse Act. Um, Forty some members of Congress, bipartisan um, House and Senate, have signed on so far. It was only introduced this year. So I knew that that was um, something I also wanted to look at and um, got some help from the Pulitzer Center with some um, funding so that me and a photographer, we could go back and forth to Nebraska. Um, and, and that's how it began. Yeah, let's talk about that too, the funding of the story, because in this day and age, it's surprising when one picks up a copy of the Des Moines Register or any local legacy newspaper and see that much ink and what apps what obviously that much time that went into producing a story like that it's fascinating to me that there are nonprofits that are subsidizing this kind of reporting tell us how you went about securing that well there are um grants available actually it's it's much more common now than than you'd imagine there there are nonprofits in almost every state in the country that if they don't provide funding they actually um help circulate um news um and investigative reports um the pulitzer center has always been great about um helping people with um special projects uh for decades and decades and i knew that money was available i just never had had applied for it um and it was, and they were, they were kind of interested in it. I think also from like the legacy point of view that here's this man who looked at Boys Town 50 years ago and here comes his daughter who knew. Um, and they were, you know, very supportive. Um, and, and those kinds of collaborations, I think you're going to be seeing um, more and more and more. Um, newspapers are just really struggling to survive globally. Um it's not just um, you know a problem that we have here in Iowa. It's everywhere, so it's it's wonderful. Well, and as I was saying to you earlier before we started the call, it is so imperative that this kind of journalism does take place. And and you know there are people that say they're going to cancel their subscriptions to legacy newspapers for one reason or the other, and it just drives me crazy. So we need this kind of expose and this kind of dogged yeah. effort that you that you put into the story. So let's talk about that. How did you go about finding all this out? Well, I mean, like any other project, I guess, I mean, I just do a lot of diligent reading first and research. And I I, um, I spent a lot of time on LexisNexis reading um, every single clip I could get my um, hands on, you know, having to deal with Boys Town. Um, and then I just started filing open records requests <clears throat> for um, information um, with, you know, Nebraska's Department of Health and Human Services, just to see what information was out there. I um, requested from Boys Town some basic police incident reports um, having to do with sexual abuse when I was visiting Boys Town, um, which is something that I would do routinely with any youth home that I wrote about. And then when they kind of shut me down and wouldn't give me any information, um, it was troubling to me because incident reports are um, very commonly used in journalism everywhere, in every city, anywhere. But what's kind of unique about um, Boys Town is that it has its own police department and it's its own village, its own government town. And um, when I spoke to people at Boys Town, they said that their police chief had never been interviewed by a reporter 
um, and um, that I was initially supposed to go through Boys Town, the nonprofit, to get the information and I was seeking. And then when they shut me down um, and wouldn't provide any, they're like, well, the police department's independent. You're going to have to go through the police department, which wasn't saying anything. So I was then in the business of writing sort of um, registered letters to communicate with the police chief to get him to respond. Um, we found, I found out through other sources that there were 12 rapes reported at Boys Town in the last five years through official statistics that the police department there had to report to the federal and state government, which was really troubling because, I mean, Boys Town is much, much smaller. It's residential home in Omaha is much smaller than it used to be. So they've only been serving fewer than 290 kids at any given time in the last five years. So that many rapes, um, at a youth home is pretty startling. Um, at least, you know, when you think about it, it's like probably the same size as most elementary schools, you know? Um, and it's a weird situation at Boys Town because unlike other facilities that treat kids, these kids are living in homes with um, adults, married couples who are guiding them and supposed to be sort of monitoring them and other children living in the home 24 seven. So there's full access there. Um, you know, Boys Town told us that they have very stringent policies so that if kids, if anything bad were to happen, um, you know, they had multiple ways of reporting. But as we all know now these days, um, kids who suffer sexual abuse don't often report it until much later. And um, I think what was really interesting to me about the discovery of all this was Boys Town has more money than any youth home in the country, period. They've got um, more staff, more um, more resources than anyone. And if this is happening there, then I think you have to ask yourself, um, how do you protect kids um, when they've got so much right going on? I mean, and there, and there is um, a lot of wonderful things. That, uh, there are a lot of wonderful things happening at Boys Town. But we know now, too, that um, this kind of sexual abuse, there's, you know, sex happening with staff members and kids who live there um, has a profound effect um, on people for the rest of their lives. Um, we also knew and found out that there have been um, a half dozen priests who were placed at Boys Town over decades, who were later found to be credibly accused of abuse, um, and other people who were employed there who were abusive, and also um, rape perpetrated in other programs like in New York, um, where kids were placed in, um, in uh, a residential facility in Brooklyn. Three kids broke out and raped um, a woman in Manhattan. So, I mean, it's an issue. It's an issue that Boys Town doesn't want to talk about. And there's been no transparency on their part. Um, they did make available to us one person for a little bit, but when the questions got tougher, um, they kind of shut the register down and, and quit answering questions. Have there been any of these perpetrators held accountable? There was, yes, there have been a couple. There was um, more, the most recent case was a guy by the name of Hami R Rivera Jr. 
Um, he was having, he was a house parent and he was having sex with a 15 year old girl at Boys Town. Um, he was convicted, um, went to prison, but then died of COVID in prison. So there was another supervisor at Boys Town, a female who was having sex with a resident there who was also um, convicted. Um, so yeah, and 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 there were the two cases of of um, young women that I wrote about who were featured prominently in my story. Both of those women um, have been offered settlements um, because I think because of the series um, recently, one in September and one this month um, with Boys Town, which they can't talk about. But was it difficult to get people on the record? You know, that is a really interesting thing that um, has sort of happened. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, young women are much more willing to talk now um, than they used to be. Um, you and I were just talking before everybody gone on about the whole Nancy Zigemeyer thing, um, that uh, the Pulitzer that the Register won um, while Geneva Oberholzer was um, editor of the uh, of the register in the 80s. And, and, you know, that was a big deal naming Nancy Zigemeyer. But these days, um, young women are very willing to use their names um, and talk about, you know, what's happening. Um, and I really think um, um, even in high school, uh, college age, young women, they're much more vocal. And, and, and that's why this is, is a big deal because it's not being kept quiet anymore. It's no longer a dirty little secret. It It's supposed to be things that people are accountable for and, and that we're talking about because ultimately the goal should be keeping children safe, keeping, keeping um, you know, everyone who goes to that home safe. And there's no way, absolutely no way for the public to find out whether kids really are. There's nothing reported on their website. Um, child maltreatment statistics um, aren't available from Boys Town, from the state of Nebraska. Um, you can't even get basic police information. So um, when the state of Iowa contracts with Boys Town and other states and places foster children there and parents privately pay, you know, pay to have their kids go there, that's a problem. I'm gonna open it up to the... <clears throat> Uh, participants here to ask you questions to go ahead and and uh, just either raise your hand visually or use that hand raising emoji yeah go ahead chuck uh lee uh good to see you and that was fantastic re fantastic reporting on those series of just really solid job by you on that couple things um uh one um didn't get that could you try again Excuse me. <clears throat> Come back okay. to me. Okay, he's dealing with Siri. Okay, uh, Laura Bellin, do you have anything for uh, Lee? Well, no, I can't believe it. Okay, <laughs> sorry, I was, I was late Hi, to join Laura. the call. So I We're did enjoy the series. I was late to join the call, though. So I okay, great. I want to ask something you've already answered. Hmm. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh no, you don't. Okay, never mind. I'll come back to you. All right, Chuck, you ready? Yeah. Yes. Can you hear me? Yeah. I can uh, hear you now. Okay. Well, terrific job on those stories. Couple points I wanted to ask. Uh, 
what's been i i jumped on the omaha world herald site uh as your stories were mm-hmm. um running and they they did kind of a catch up and they mentioned your reporting uh they did kind of a catch up a few days later uh but it leads me to ask what has follow up has there been in omaha either from other media outlets over there or from um, and from law enforcement uh, as a result of your stories. And secondly, just a curious thing about from the because I remember the series that your father was involved in uh, years and years ago. It, the Omaha Sun is no longer printing, is it? No. And, How long and, did it well, last? And, and oh, gosh, it, it lasted a while longer. You know, my dad, after the stories um, ran, he stayed in Omaha for a while and then he went to Washington, D.C. to cover Congress. So, um, but the the really interesting thing about those stories is that Warren Buffett was the tipster on those stories. Um, he knew that these Form 990s were becoming public for the first time, which are the tax forms for a nonprofit that I used in this series and that all reporters use now to report um, on nonprofits. Um, and that's when, you know, basically what they reported is how much money Boys Town actually had, and there'd been no public accounting for what they were doing with that money. Um, and the American public had no idea they had raised so much money. They had women typing letters um, on several floors of a downtown Omaha office building, you know, millions and millions of letters to Americans, you know, saying, please help the needy boys of Boys Town. Um, they'll ha- there'll be no happy Christmas, you know, without your donation this winter. And they were actually just sitting on a pile of money and they, and they weren't doing anything with it either. And um, what was great about those stories, they had some unintended consequences because it was really hard after that for youth homes around the country to raise money. Um, And Boys Town, I think shut down its fundraising for a few years afterward because of those stories. Um, But one of the reasons why journalism is so important is that unless you keep shining a light in some places, people just kind of go back to what they were doing. So I'm at least happy that I wrote the stories that I did. And that leads to um, kind of the follow-up. So I I suspect now that the World Herald was working on something, um, when I was working on something, we offered my stories um, to the World Herald editor to run on the same day um, that ours were published um, and they passed. They didn't even respond to Carol Hunter, our editor. Oh my um, gosh. Yeah. And, and, you know, honestly, the world Herald has never, ever written anything um, tough about Boys Town, And because it's so iconic, it's just, you know, father Flanagan is up for sainthood um, with the Vatican. Um, he is a saint as far as, you know, most people can figure out. I mean, he was an amazing, amazing man. Um, but, you know, a lot of people do have questions about what's going on there. It's run by a, you know, corporate CEO. Um, the church is out, you know, with the with the retirement recently um, this summer of of the, the national director who was a priest and one of a handful of priests who's who's helped run Boys Town um, for 106 years. Um, now it's very kind of a corporate atmosphere. Um and so it'll be interesting to see what happens at Boys Town going forward. Um, and in terms of reaction, we were lucky to have at least the help of um, a Nebraska nonprofit to circulate the stories. 
Um, I hammered on Carol Hunter a little bit to take the paywall down on the stories because these are the kind of stories that kind of trickle out, you know, and then they circulate and then you hear things. And I'm still working on, um, um, you know, follow-ups related to this. I'm still pressing Nebraska authorities for more information. I'm still fighting for the police reports. Um, I believe they're public under Nebraska law. I've got a little bit of help from a First Amendment center um, at the University of Nebraska Lincoln that's trying to help me out on that. Um, and I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna let it go. I thought that the World Herald piece was kind of wimpy, honestly. Um, if you read that piece, there are no national experts quoted in it. Um, they didn't ha really have anybody analyze what they had found. You know. Um, there was a lot more work they could have done. And I don't mind one iota that they did their own piece. You know, it's their town and and they would focus differently on it, I'm sure. But I I do, uh, I was chagrined when I didn't see them really kind of asking tough questions or, or going to uh, national experts to get some more insight into what they're doing over there, so. What about the Nebraska legislature? Any anybody reach out from that body, those bodies? Well, I mean, it's not really. It's part of my follow up. I mean, I am trying to follow up with some um, state and federal um, lawmakers, um, but you know, the big issue with the abuse side of things really is the lack of transparency and um, these reports. And I feel like um, kind of that's where the story is on the abuse side of things. I mean, these reports literally are the kind of reports that we all rely on daily in journalism at every newspaper in the country that they're refusing to release. So that's kind of where I'm preoccupied right now. Um, the fundraising side of things the First Amendment, like, and, and Laura, you and I could talk about, you know, the flyers that went out recently, but there's some First Amendment protections um, applied to nonprofits that allow them to kind of use certain language to uh, raise money and uh, do things a certain way. Um, you know, believe it or not, you can uh, be a really poor fundraiser um, and uh, there's really no accountability to it, which was also part of the stories, part of what I wrote about. Um, so there's Please. not much, Grassley actually, um, Senator Grassley has tried to do some stuff on that front, but not gotten very many, or not gotten very far because of the First Amendment protections. Have you had much national attention? It really certainly deserves it. <laughs> not yet, not yet, no, but we have, um, we have other Gannett sites that have expressed interest in running it. And again, this is, this is, you know, I've done a lot of these now and there are stories that have an immediate effect. Then there are stories that are kind of, they go out into the world and kind of come back. And um, I think this is more like one of those. It's been, it's been a tough story and kind of frustrating in that we don't have any Gannett papers in Nebraska. So we, you know, just trying to get the word out. And also to, there's some locations in Gannett that have Boys Town sites. Yeah. So we've been working with them. I'm, now I'm going to have a coughing fit. Somebody asked a question. 
Okay, Laura, you're up. <laughs> I know. Question. So I, I mean, thank you for urging that the paywall be taken down. This is kind of one of my pet peeves. Like I understand the concept behind a paywall, but when the a newspaper puts their best investigative reporting behind a paywall, that's like absolutely great for the people in power because all it does is ensure that very few people are going to be able to read the story or a lot fewer people are going to be able to read the story. Right. It gets shared. A lot of the people who try to get through or click through are going to hit that paywall and go no further. So it's kind of like <laughs> you're just, you're kind of like kneecapping your own story at that point. But um, exactly. yeah, the, the first <laughs> amendment thing, I mean, it is <laughs> like, I definitely, I'm involved with a lot of nonprofits. And so I do understand the confidentiality protections there, but it is frustrating when a nonprofit has so much power and, and is abusing its power, you know, that, I mean, it, it's, it's frustrating that there's no way around that. I guess I wanted to just also say, I'm not surprised that the Omaha paper is not going to be as hard hitting about a beloved local institution that is yeah. also not at all surprising. So I'm glad. I was trying to think of something comparable and <laughs> something comparable in Iowa. It'd be like writing about a tough story about IV. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we do those. We do those. But like, you know, like Iowa football or, you know, like we've got you. you I mean, it. it's just, you know, Hawkeye. Well, I mean, when I was thinking about, I mean, something jogged my memory over the weekend about the whole blow up when um, Aaron Calvin wrote that story about Carson King and. All oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, like I mean, that. you write anything remotely and that wasn't even like a negative profile at all it was like something that was mentioned way way down you know way way down in a long profile that was mostly flattering you know something negative and there can be so much blowback so i can see why a story like that wouldn't get assigned or it might get toned down in the editing process i mean that's just a problem that that you have when there's a beloved community person or institution yeah yeah have you taken a look at the at the boards, the board of the newspaper and the board of the uh, Boys Town to see if there's any cross cross mixing there? Um, I don't think there is. Um, I conferred with um, I don't know if I want to say who, but I talked to some people and I I did reach out to the board president um, at Boys Town and she has not responded. I mean, it's just completely locked down and. Um, I do have people talking to me from inside Boys Town, which is kind of interesting. So um, I don't know if they're going to be helpful or, or not at this point, but um, there was a lot of inside Boys Town. There was, um, they were very concerned about these pieces. I do know that. So I'll bet. I'll bet. Bryce has a question, but before we get to Bryce and you're going to need to unmute Bryce, um, you've been holding nonprofit folks accountable most of your career in one way or other. What's the solution? I mean, where if you could wave a magic wand and could pass some kind of legislation is or is it or is it hiring in the first place? Where is it low salaries? It, what, what would you do to fix this to protect children? Well, I mean, I think that's a broad question. Every every nonprofit and its problems are different, you know. There's no, I don't, I don't really see a lot of similarities except that maybe um, in, 
you know, it, it always seems to be if the, if the leaders at the top, um, um, aren't very transparent, you know, that's where you get into problems and really nonprofit boards are supposed to be, you know, responsible for the, uh, leadership and the, um, and they have a fiduciary duty, um, to make sure money is spent wisely and, and, um, but I just don't know that there's in the different situations that I've written about, I just don't think that there's, there's a lot in common from nonprofit to nonprofit. All of their problems are unique. What is, what is um, similar is that these residential homes um, there, there is uh, widespread abuse. Um, I do believe that Boys Town is one of the best in the country. Um, I'm not saying that it's a horrible place in my reporting. What I am saying is that um, these kids are, um, whether a place is for profit or nonprofit, these kids are cloistered away from the public for the most part. Um, they are subject to very strict rules where their freedom hinges on how compliant they are. Um, it's not really based in any kind of successful model that's been tested by science. You know, they have wilderness camps and um, boarding schools and everybody's got their own approach to it. Um, but there's really no um, proof that it does anything but, you know, try to keep these kids safe at a time when life is very difficult. And you've got kids who have been severely abused and, and delinquent kids um, mixed together, some kids who are sexual abusers. You've got you've got adults who have a ready population of kids that have all kinds of issues, um, and there's nowhere to go, you know. And at other facilities that I've written about, Midwest Academy, Clarinda Academy, places in Iowa, um, this is true across the country. Some of them are more militant and really abusive and spare and awful. And Boys Town, Town's not like that at all. It's gorgeous. It's like a college. It's like going to college, you know, bucolic. There's a pond. It's, you know, lots of facilities and gorgeous. But, you know, the kids, it's cloistered and you must behave and you don't talk back. And there's lots of rules and there's no cell phones. They could, I mean, if these people, if these kids wanted to take a picture or record something bad happening to them, they, there's no way they can do it because they're not allowed to have cell phones. Their mail is read. You know, they can only call home every so often and that's only if they're good and it's only for so much time and somebody's listening to their phone calls. This wow. is true at other places. So we have to kind of ask ourselves about these models, you know? I mean, parents, and the and the really sad thing too is that we're at a, a time in, in US history where funding uh is drying up on the federal level and so parents have no place safe place to put kids either so it's all kind of colliding at the same time and these you know we have a lot of parents who are absolutely at wit's end with kids that have you know maybe a mix of um different disabilities delinquent kids kids in child welfare and foster care um we need safe places but we need maybe a different approach, you know, um, and, you know, having written so much about sexual abuse of kids, um, I just feel like, um, there has to be more accountability and transparency there. There just has to, you know, you, you, you should have a choice and, and states should really know, you know, before placing kids, you know, what happened, 
you don't have to name the kid. You don't have to violate their confidentiality, but you sure should be able to look up some statistics or reports that tell you what's going on at a given center. Here, here. All right, Bryce and then Ralph. Uh, Lee, I'd, I'd like to congratulate you on opening the door on an issue on your story today in the Des Moines Register on the on the front page uh, about the uh, campaign workers. Mm -hmm. uh, because that's a, that's a national story and it's going to get uglier as we go along. And I think you're opening the door on having attended uh, reporting on the campaign uh, finance committee's meeting uh, about what are we going to do? What kind of protections do we have in place? Uh, because it will, while it is not an issue here as much as it, it has been in other places, yeah. you're you're addressing that issue uh, opening. It kind of, I think, gives some comfort to those who may be willing to more re ready to step forward when it occurs, because it is a it's it's a direct piece. I do have one suggestion, but it was a tiny typo. In that, in that's right. <laughs> Maybe you saw it. What's the typo? The typo is that across the county, the uh, threats to poll workers and secretaries of state and so forth are increasing. I think it was meant to be country. And oh, yeah, it was. Sorry. And, and, and well, no, I, I'm the only reason I met, I just read it within the last hour. Your story will be repeated. And I just thought you might want to know that. Note to self, I will fix it. <laughs> Country, self. not county. But it happens. We have no, no copy editors. We're we're correcting each other. I'm, you know, on a daily basis, it seems so. Well, I lament the the uh, the absence of copy editors on this uh, on these uh, Zoom meetings before because I'm a I'm a fan of copy editors. But in any event, could you tell us that you see this as a longer term uh, story? Why why did you go into that, that subject? Uh, uh, well, it happened. I mean, this is Laura Bellin's fault, really. No, I'm kidding. Um, you know, <laughs> I I had kind of followed up on something that Laura and uh, wrote about first, and then our um, opinion editor wrote about second. These flyers um, that went around at the end. Um, at the 11th hour, right before the vote on the mayor's race, he's uh, uh, Josh Mandelbaum flyers um, that ticked off a whole bunch of people um, because there had been a nonprofit form called Citizens for Des Moines. Um, and they basically um, tried to tarnish his record right before the vote. Um, I got involved because I'm typically in these last few election cycles, um, I'm the person that they pinpoint at the register um, if there are problems in um, leading up to the vote. Um, and while I didn't hear a lot of complaints um, about that heading into the election, um, it was a big deal there um, and I wanted to follow up on it. And so it was supposed to come up with the campaign um, election and our campaign disclosure um, campaign disclosure and finance board and i went to that meeting and that was discussed at that meeting and um some of the issues that came up in the mayor's race got pushed off until their january meeting but i thought that was noteworthy that people were getting threatened so that's why i wrote that piece yeah. good for you good for you all right ralph thank you bryce yep 
Thank you very much. And if there's too much background noise, uh, let me know and you can go to someone else, please. Uh, about the mayoral race, what disturbs me is that this sets a terrible precedent for how you can successfully get away with these kind of tactics. And if there's no effort legislatively or by campaign finance or by our victorious mayor, Connie, to do something about it, it will only reinforce future behavior. So I'm really glad you wrote about that. And I hope you can continue to do it. This is not an issue of who won. It's just an issue that this tactic was successful. But getting and back the to left, the point. And, the, and, you know, these are Democrats. You know, the left and the right use these tactics um, it was right. They a do. lot. Yeah. So they're wrong. And Boys Town, this is many of the people, the youth who are served there are publicly, their services are publicly funded. So your concern over transparency is right from a taxpayer's point of view. I think a lot of them are Medicaid funded because they yep. go through juvenile court. So, but also there, the, so there should be something about the state of Iowa who sends kids there should hold, be responsible for some yes. accountability, every other yes. state. The second is, and I'm more, much more familiar with Iowa, but I'm thinking every service provider in Nebraska is, for kids is a credit, has to be certified yeah. and there's an accreditation. And I think that whole thing is public so that it's a public information about what the accreditation process is. It's public information, what Boys Town has to do to make sure all its employees are accredited. Boys Town, if it's like every other Iowa nonprofit I've worked with, has to set out a formal process for how people who are alleged to be victims of abuse or harassment can complain. It's both for staff and for um, patients. It's what distinguishes Boys Town from other nonprofits, it's a service provider. A lot of nonprofits, those staff are not certified, are not account, are, they don't have to be any kind of accreditation. But under Boys Town, they have state and federal rules. And I just think- you Yeah, but you won't really find out. You, you won't glean anything from looking at those documents. You won't. Um, and their inspection reports don't really- you know, we we've experienced this too in in Iowa when we've tried to take a look at like a a home that is state licensed, and you can see different things that were reported on the like um, different documents. But when it comes to things like kids being abused and sexual abuse, um, you can't get at it. You can't. There's no there, unless you can get those police reports. Um, you know, and we, and we don't, we don't really, unless a kid, uh, unless a kid was an adult, we don't have any interest in naming anybody. Um, you know, we can't even just get basic facts and circumstances. But um, if, if Nebraska and the, state, has and the state of Nebraska and the state of Iowa, I've got, I've had to go so far as to do um, open records request after the stories ran, because they're not saying anything about this, these these uh, sexual assaults so if, um i mean the, the county attorneys in nebraska still have some control over filing charges but the question is is how the charges get brought to their attention because the charges may never be they may never find out about them but the 
there's usually extended statute of limitations for minors that they have a certain number of years beyond yeah. maturity to file. So I don't understand why some of these adults slash child victims don't file with criminal charges. Well, in the case of, this is getting a little into the weeds, but in these, for example, in these cases that had been reported in the last five years, um, only half of them were referred by Boys Town to the Douglas County Attorney's Office. And because Boys Town wouldn't release any dates, any scenarios, any names, nothing to us, there's no way that we could check the cases with Douglas County to find out what happened. We tried, I tried. Um, but they said, you know, what do you mean? And I'm like, well, Boys Town has referred all these cases to you and I'd like to know what happened with them. And they're like, we got to have a name. We got to have a date. We got to have something. And I didn't have that because Boys Town wouldn't release it. So, and, you know, Omaha police um, freely, I mean, they say that they don't look into cases at Boys Town and will not because they have their own police department. So. Wow. wow. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you, Ralph. Who else has a question? I'll bet you somebody does or a comment. Yeah, go ahead, Ken. You need to unmute, please. Yeah, sure. Hi. Hi, Lee. Nice to... Oh, hi, Ken. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Good to have you back, Ken. We've been missing you. Yeah. Well, you know, I've been running around with Xi Jinping. And, I know. I know. And, I want to and, talk to you about that offline, but... Go ahead and ask yeah. your questions for Lee. Yeah. I, was, I was just at the World Food Prize building on Saturday for the Vivaldi candlelight thing. It was gorgeous. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Anyway, I was uh, wanted to uh, offer a comment uh, about the issue of dealing with underage children uh, mm. in situations. And there's some similarities uh, to that also about dealing uh, with other employees. Uh, uh, you know, possibilities of sexual exploitation or uh, as well. And I was very, very mindful of that because of our youth institute. We would send students, uh, high school age students abroad every year, uh, 25 of them uh, for eight weeks to uh, foreign ag research centers and had to be very, very aware of their situations we used to would brief them and their parents beforehand. And then when they came back uh, to have uh, kind of a, a debrief with them and uh, early on found out that some of them, some of these young, young women, young girls uh, were being approached by foreigners with marriage proposals. And so, <laughs> uh, you know, thank, thank, thank goodness, nothing, you know, beyond that, but to, uh, to give them uh, rules and individuals that they could turn to in those kind of situations. Likewise, in our employment situation, uh, in our building at the Hall of Laureates, uh, I ensured that we had very few places where you could have closed door meetings where you're not visible. So in my office, I installed glass in the, in the doors and so where other people on the staff could look in. So if I were meeting with someone uh, individually, it'd all be very visible. And uh, I would, uh, if I was going to meet uh, with a female employee, uh, 
I would almost always have another employee uh, in the room. So there is always a, a third party there. And so my point is that, and to the question, Julie, you asked about what can be done to the extent that boards or leadership can create a set of rules that everybody understands. And uh, basically that you can't be alone behind a closed door in a one-on-one -on -one situation, adult to minor, or uh, in a, uh, a situation of person of higher power, lower power, uh, where there could be some kind of uh, sexual uh, discrimination or exploitation there. So I was always very mindful of that and anxious to be protective of, uh, of young children for the the reputation of our organization uh, and in the obligation we had to parents of ch whose children we, we dealt with. So I okay. thought I just wanted to offer that thought. Thank you, Ken. Appreciate your comments. Uh, Jim Sayer, you have a comment and a question. Yeah, thank you, Julie. I'd like to follow up, uh, Lee, a little bit more on what Julie mentioned a minute ago it has to do with the board of directors. A lot of us have been involved in boards of directors, some which are outstanding, engaged, and do their job, others which are kind of out to lunch. So my question was with the Boys Town uh, Board of Directors, first, how many are they, are there? Uh, how are their business connections? You know, how did they get on the board? How long have they stayed on? And, and did you find that they were very aware and engaged or just kind of not so much just trusting in their hired staff? Well, I wish I could tell you whether they're engaged because they wouldn't talk to me. The board members would not talk to me. Um, they have a big board. I can't remember if it's 10 or 12, um, but you have to be a donor to Boys Town to be on the board. And it's a it's a mostly uh, national board. Um, interestingly, um, there's one psychologist on the board, but almost everybody else is has nothing to do with child welfare. Um it's uh, a lot of people who are really good at fundraising, philanthropy, um, education, healthcare, because, you know, Boys Town has its own national research hospital as well and clinics. Um, and when, when Boys Town wasn't being very responsible, I tried to go to board members to get them to talk to me, but they would not. So, um, and I tried a couple different ways and wrote a couple different kinds of letters to say, you know, hey, look, you have a, a job here, you know, overseeing uh, the managers, you know, as overseeing this nonprofit and a fiduciary duty. But no, I couldn't I couldn't get anywhere. So. Interesting. OK, Lee, let's talk some about some of the other exposés or or sunshine that you've you've uh, targeted on various organizations in your career, what stands out as something that you wrote about, told the public about, and it made a difference? Can you think of anything off the top of your head? Well, I mean, I have really tried to keep the subject matter over the years diverse um, because I don't want people to get bored. And I want to try to touch on things that may may affect a lot of Iowans. So it's been all over the map, really. I've written about um, 
um, abuse in the blind community. Um, I've written about hunters who've gotten scammed out of thousands of dollars um, in bogus, you know, um, hunting um, operations. I've written about the one of the biggest things I've written about where I've had a lot of success is um, um, contractors who scam people out of money, um, housing contractors, which is I keep hammering on that one because I feel that Iowa's law is just so damn weak um, that you're really, I mean, people just keep, keep over and over and over. They're getting scammed in um, um, contractor schemes where somebody shows up, they have a look around, they give you a bid, you even have a contract. They do a tiny bit of work or demolition. And because they've done that work or they've left supplies at your house, um, and when they walk away with thousands and thousands of dollars, I mean, really large sums, um, it's suddenly a civil contract issue and the authorities won't do anything. But at least I can expose these guys and um, shine a light on them and keep shining a light on them. And I have no problem doing that. <laughs> I, um, you know, I, I think it's been very helpful. We've had some legislation um past um but there could be more um that would that could happen there um i um i'm trying to think what else has been kind of a big deal um i mean it, it's really just been i I, it's, I spent a lot of time you know writing about um these two uh uh bar owners in town who were um in yeah. all kinds of trouble and that was you know, this is a lot of almost all the columns I do is in one way or another are are led by our readers. And those two, um, it wasn't um, me seeking to be prosecutor of these two guys. It was the whole community really writing me um, saying, you need to stay on top of this and here's what's going on. And, and um, I literally barely had to do any reporting on that because I had so many people calling me saying, look here, look there, look, you know, and it was a real problem because the businesses were causing a lot of havoc. There was violence there, but there was also what was happening to women and um, kind of shady stuff happening financially and um, all kinds of stuff. So um, I, I, I love when people come to me with new ideas um, somewhere where I haven't been before. And um, what I don't ever want to get involved, I don't want to get too political. I don't, I mean, I know everything is political, but I mean, we've got a politics team and um, we've got resources there. Um, and in places where the register has a lot of resources, I, I don't want to go. They, they do a great job. Um, I don't cover uh, divorces or estate battles within families um, for the most part. I think there's been maybe one or two exceptions. Um, if if there's something really interesting going on, I'm looking for places where lots of people are affected, places where a lot of people would care. I once wrote a column about telling people not to send their poop in a box for colonoscopies <laughs> about why you should why you should um, not do the you know they have you send the samples through the mail. Um, that was the most read column I've ever written and it went national and it's been read by thousands and thousands of people because so many people have to have colonoscopies, yeah. um, incredibly high healthcare bills. You know, we've had situations where 
uh, providers have backed away from these incredible chargers to consumers. It goes on and on. It's a really rewarding column. So I'm going to call on Susan Beckman, but first, is there a question you have of the people on the call? We have over 40 uh, uh, present. Is there any question that you would like to ask them and then ask it and then we'll go to Susan? Sure. I mean, you know, the number one question I always have is, you know, what do you want me to look at? Where where do you think, you know, um, given that it's a watchdog column and and things, you know, what do you want me to investigate always? Okay, good, good question. And Susan, you are up now. Thank you. Well, I'm not sure if it's a question as much as an observation and a comment, but, you know, in a few years back, the, the Christian Children's Home in Keokuk was shut down and terrible things were exposed there. And we've seen things all across the country, whether it's in the world, as far as, you know, the Magdalene laundries, this is not a new um happening it's it's a it's not just modern society we we can't say that because it goes back you know for centuries but when they're hiring or when we're educating people to take on the work of caring for children what are we missing in in educating people to do social work child care i mean even a an adult looking for psychiatric care can get in a real mess with a person who is a predator. So to me, that's the core of the problem is I, how do we identify as a society where these predators are? Because they will flock to places like Boys Town or the Midwest Academy or wherever there are victims available to them. Well, I mean, to a certain extent, I think it does. I think you do have to have policies where people are supposed to be checking each other. I mean, you wouldn't leave somebody in a bank alone with cash, you know, for years and years without cameras and, and you know, checks and balances and, and things like that. And, um, you know, I mean, predators are so good. They're so good. Um, my mother came for this Vivaldi thing at the World Food Price um, Center over the weekend. And she told me that one of the priests that was on the list that I wrote about who had been a, an abuser at Boys Town she she said she missed that story somehow in reading my pieces and she said he she knew that priest well and um back in the 70s and 80s and he was um a beloved priest um who had actually given a presentation in our living room in our home about a home that he ran in central america um for boys and she said you know people talked about the fact that this pr priest always seemed um you know, to have a pre, you know, to, to be involved with programs with young boys all the time. And I was like, wow, you know, I just think that you, if you're in anything involved in children, anything involved with children, especially in residential facilities, there has to be better checks and balances. And how dare you leave it to the children to speak out and, and to protect themselves that it's just offensive, honestly. I mean, um, this is an adult responsibility. This is the responsibility of the people who are providing the care for very at risk, very vulnerable kids. You know, it's just not acceptable. And, and that that is one thing that Boys Town came back and said is like, well, we give them all these different opportunities to speak up, but um, it's not their job. 
Have you looked at what's going on around the country with various states about statute, statute of limitations releases for sexual abuse of children? Yeah. I mean, that's, that's kind of changing. Um, in some states it's getting worse in some states it's getting better, you know, um, when when we looked at some of the cases involving Boys Town, I thought what was really interesting was that um, there were a whole spurt of cases um, in the 1980s that Steve Buttry wrote about. And Steve worked for both the World Herald and the Des Moines Register, and he covered religion. And it was when the clergy abuse stuff really started to come out. Um, most of the cases that were brought against Boys Town during that time were dismissed not because they weren't valid, but because the statute of limitations um, had run out. So, um, yeah, I think that's that's an issue from state to state, but I couldn't really tell you the difference in all the state laws. There's a woman <laughs> who just started writing a column for the for our Iowa Writers Collaborative called, by the name of Kelly Von, White Von Bali. And she's focusing on the mental health care system in Iowa. It's really, really important stuff. I commend her to you. Um, there may be some ideas for you and what, what she's talking about. Started Her interest started when um, her neighbors were murdered by the son uh, because he was not able to get into a psychiatric bed that he had uh, he, both the, the, uh, the murderer and the family had requested, but there were no beds available. So they turned him away. And uh, that caused her to be, become very interested in mental health in Iowa. And I think, I think you'd find it fascinating what she's, what she's writing about. Who else has something that Lee might find of interest as we come to the one hour mark? Norm Brewer, do you know Norm Lee? Norm was a Register and Tribune report mm -hmm. for many years. I know Norm preceded me. I came back in 97. So I think I missed you, Norm. He's writing yeah. novels now. Yes, you did miss me. I think we, uh, I was with Larry uh, Fruling at a party in the late 90s or so, and I think we met once. Okay. <laughs> but anyway, um, if we can agree that the sort of the arc of uh, accountability in print journalism started going down precipitously, say 25 years ago, and, and then support in various forms from outside groups uh, improved quite a bit, maybe half that long ago. Uh, where are we now on the arc of, of local newspapers coming back in terms of holding the school boards and the legislatures accountable? Are we starting up at all or are we still going downhill? I think we're just trying to hold our own. You know, I, I, I think where there's really success on the accountability front is when news organizations collaborate. And we are all sort of in a weaker position uh, because we have fewer resources than we ever have. Um, but together, um, when we, I'm not, I'm not competitive in the least. I really feel like, um, we have way too few resources to mess around. And 
Um, I am happy to collaborate with other journalists. Um, I don't wanna get caught up with opinion columnists um, because I do wanna keep myself separate as a news person, but I, um, I think that's where the future is. Um, I think we need to share our news through nonprofits. Um, we need to have, I was happy to see Tony Lays on the front page. You know, he left us from the register and now works for KFF. Um, you know, that's that's the way we're going to have an impact and and maintain some kind of accountability um, is through sharing and collaboration. Because it's not going to rebound anytime soon. And I don't think we've hit bottom yet. So, um, you know, unless greedy CEOs, pick, you know, quit taking... <laughs> you know, are more generous and, uh, you know, there, there's been all these, you know, huge media companies that are um, just making things more difficult. I just don't see it getting better. And on that happy note, Tim Wagner, you, <laughs> okay. you have Thanks, a, everybody. No, 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 no. Yeah, we're not done yet. Tim Wagner has a very good question. Go ahead, Tim. And then we're going to go into breakout rooms. You don't have to hang around, leave for that, but they're kind of fun. People go into breakout rooms five to six just to get to know one of another. But Tim, ask your question. Yeah. Uh, uh, thank you so much. Um, can you hear me okay? Yeah. Uh -huh. Yeah, great. Um, yeah, my 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 question or suggestion, you're looking for things to be investigated in the future and it has to do with private school voucher program. I think we're going to see a uh, significant increase in private for-profit schools across the state as absolutely basically they're tapping into free money with little accountability and i think it's a situation right for uh, a lot of grifters and uh, some real real scandals so that's my thought yeah and i remember when that whole thing happened is you know we have huge swaths of the state that didn't have anything in terms of private schools and now we will i think um, and they'll be popping up. Um, but that is also something that we've had people covering. Um, I don't know if they'll, they'll bring me into it. Sometimes sometimes I'll have somebody contact me and I'll reach out to Carol, our editor, and say, is this something you want me to go deep on or do you want me to leave it alone? Because we've got people out there that are looking at it. So, But that's a good idea, I think. Lee, thank you. And by the way, those of you on this call, I hope you've come away from this conversation understanding the importance of what Lee is doing and also this particular story on Boys Town. If you know any national journalists, give them a call, send them an email, send them a link to this story that Lee has done because it really does deserve a wider audience than, than, uh, than just this region. So thank you, Lee, for all you do. Thank you for being on this call. We're no now gonna, we're now going to go into breakout rooms for anybody who wants to chat. And uh, that our time is up. Thanks, Lee. All right. Thank you. <laughs>